Blog Talk Radio. Father calls a son. He does not leave him full of the world, of his own desires and instincts of the flesh. The father calls his son to his side, and then angels are dispatched to bring him his son. These angels know the condition the son must be in to present himself before the father. He cannot come full of himself with all of his worldly desires, his ego, lest he feel the pain of his sin and flee before even hearing his father's voice like Adam hiding from his shade. Like fine gold is refined by fire, the son is confronted by the devil face to face, just as Job faced Satan at the will of God. As Christ was tempted for 40 days prior to returning to start his ministry, Christ faced the evil one who brought the heat of the furnace to purify his heart, soul, and his mind of this world. Every calling in the Word of God for the Son of Man is the same, but manifests in different ways, but always has the same outcome. The Son of Man is finally purified, refined like fine gold, knowing his own sin and grasping the law of God so deeply that he can finally confess his unworthy stature and repent fully, completely, with a fully humble and contrite heart. Then and only then can the Son approach the throne of His Father. And even so, He still crawls. The fact that you are here listening to this show demonstrates that you are heeding the call. For many are called and few are chosen. Those that are chosen have to actually respond to that call. Hey, it's Derek Rose. Welcome to the show. Uh, those that are on chat, just to make sure that you can hear me okay, just uh, give me a give me a thumbs up or a smiley face and let me know that you can hear us uh, okay. Steve, are you there? I am. Can you hear me okay, Derek? Uh, I hear you great. Wonderful. So uh, I would have loved to we, – we should have probably done a little bit of uh, sound checking before this and on a show, but uh, next, time, next time we'll have it all polished up. So I just – wanted to let everybody know uh first thank you thank you for uh, joining the show and uh and thank you for all the uh, the chat smiles thank you very much yes you can hear us well and uh just want to welcome you to the show and uh and welcome steve to to uh the blog talk radio channel here so hopefully uh this will be productive for everybody as we what we're going to really attempt to do here is we're just going to allow uh we're going to allow the spirit to lead us uh during this conversation obviously there's so much happening and every single day changes so dramatically it's uh it's quite startling that the uh what takes place daily basis new new revelations new messages um it's remarkable for me to to watch it and to be able to pick up the phone and call steve and us you know kind of compare notes about what we've received and it's not you know as i've said many times i don't spend a whole lot of time watching videos that people send me but this morning 
um, I woke up and there was, and I always shut down my browser and I shut off and um, I leave the PC on, but, uh, but I shut down all connections, but somehow I got up this morning, my browser was open to a video. So I watched it and sent that to Steve and that started another conversation that we had today. So um, thank you, Steve, for joining and, uh, and, uh, and lending your, uh, your intellectual, your intellectual thought to the, to the equation here, because we have a lot of hungry people out there that are um, seeking the same things we're seeking. We're seeking truth. We're seeking better understanding about what is happening, what is going on, and what, what to expect. And that preparation and preparing ourselves for what to expect is primarily how we're going to be able to actually survive it. So with that said, Steve, I'll uh, give the floor to you let you uh, let you take it from here, and we'll, uh, we'll just carry on with, uh, with the agenda. No, you know, thanks. And again, you know, I'll, I'll validate what you just said. There's, there's in my network of of people and you have like a little sphere of people that you talk to when you're doing uh, broadcast work in the, in social media, like YouTube, like what WSO is. That's my primary channel, uh, what I do. And we've been, you know, what this started out to be was I was just curious about the cosmos. And what and and the way I got curious about the cosmos, and it's really interesting, Derek, because it was Graham Hancock and his uh, partner. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Gordon Gordon Randall, if I'm not mistaken. And they're out making a a very strong scientific argument right now, and have been trying to get it published and trying to get it peer reviewed and so forth on the last major flood of the Earth, which they estimate to be about 12,500 years ago. This is not the first time I heard this because I've always been interested in paranormal and Bigfoot and all that kind of stuff. I'm just one of those wacky guys like that. I like stuff like that, right? And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking about that and and then just imagining the fact that that asteroid they estimated landed not too far from where I grew up, okay? And we lived in a little area called the Driftless Zone in northern, in southern Wisconsin. And that's where I grew up. And, and what the Driftless Zone was the one little area of the, one of the little areas of the northern United States that just the glaciers for some reason went around. So there was this added component of growing up in an area that had prehistoric rock formations, prehistoric plant life, just bizarre mounds and structures. So I was surrounded by this stuff. But when I heard the Graham Hancock um, thesis, it really got me to thinking, well, what would cause such an asteroid? How often did this happen? And it reminded me of my biblical studies that I had years ago when I went to Bible school and uh, about Wormwood, okay, about the Revelation 12 story, or I'm sorry, the Revelation story about the, the star Wormwood, the Wormwood star, and I remembered it. And I had also been a dabbler in eschatology, so I started opening up and started doing research. Lo and behold, this whole world and community opened itself up to me, which is called the Planet X Nibiru community. And so I just started showing pictures, and people started sending me pictures, and we made a lot of mistakes in the early going. Um, I didn't know how caustic this information was. Derek, mm-hmm. I did not yeah. know how controversial this stuff was. Because all I was doing was looking at all sky cams and seeing orbs and seeing strange shapes and seeing, seeing strange lights and sharing that with my viewers. And the channel just grew. And we started sharing, and then all of a sudden we, it, it was like 
it was like I had brought the wrath of the devil himself upon me. On me. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 mm-hmm. At some point in that journey, it became, it was always spiritual for me because I started WSL thinking, let's tie the theology and philosophy into the study of this cosmos. And let's discuss both at the same time. And that's what we've tried to do. And I was a very fundamentalist, Jesus-following evangelical when I started this journey, okay? And I'm talking straight up and down, Pentecostal, raised Catholic, converted to Pentecostal, was filled with the Holy Spirit, went to Bible school, was ordained in two different churches, um, you know, was kicked out of most of the churches I went to because uh, I oftentimes asked a lot of questions that weren't very pleasant (laughs) along the way. And oftentimes yeah, of course. that caused issues, right? But it was always along this. And I always said when I first met Christ 30 years ago, the first thing that came out of my mouth is I want the truth. I don't care what it is. I just want the truth. So anyway, to tie it back to the WSO thing, it just got more and more bizarre. We, we started to learn more about prophecy. We started to learn that there were other uh, people like the Hopi tribe in um, Arizona that also – had legends concerning these these signs in the heavens. Jesus had several quotes in the New Testament about it, and and it just kept leading us down this path, uh, a rabbit hole, if you will, Derek, of information. Mm-hmm. Because once you start studying Planet X, and this is what our friend Terrell Blackstar learned, and he was sharing with me on my program this morning. He was saying that he was studying 9/11. I'm studying biblical truth. He started off studying biblical truth. And then that led him to 9-11. I also, because I study biblical truth and want truth, led me into kind of the rabbit holes of 9-11 and the moon landings and all that kind of stuff. I I, I watched all that stuff, love that stuff. But what Mm -hmm. Terrell found happened to him and what I found happened to me, and I think what happened to a lot of people is, all of a sudden this takes a different turn. It goes from this, it goes, it goes from, all of a sudden you're studying truth, and then all of a sudden you come into this big story called Black Star. And I'll tell Terrell's story because it's really interesting. He stumbled upon uh, insider government documents that talked about all of the 9-11 and all these different events that have been happening in the world were all driving towards this dark star event that was documented in this report called the Dakota Report. It was shared with him by Jim Mars. And I think Jim Mars, if I'm not mistaken, is rest in peace, right? Um, so mm-hmm. this is a very interesting angle. But that led him into, in the same way, Graham Hancock took me from just being a truth seeker into looking into the cosmic truth, and then well, that leads to spiritual truth immediately. Because you are confronted immediately with things like, is there alien life? Because if you're going to deal with Planet X, you're going to have to deal with the Sumerians. And if you're going to deal with the Sumerians, mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with the Anunnaki. And you're going to have to deal with the yep. cuneiform. And then you have to deal with the fact that the scriptures see in our Old Testament actually originated from the Sumerian texts many thousands of years before. I didn't know that mm-hmm. when I came into this world. Did you, Derek? Yeah, actually, I did. That was part of that was part of what was revealed to me is that um during during this awakening see unlike unlike you Steve that i just all of a sudden had some information that it's it's almost like somebody threw books into my head and and i had already read them it's it's as though i um somebody else came into me that's the, I, the only way i could describe it and all of a sudden i knew these truths and it led me directly to 
to uh, the cuneiform texts, right? So, um, and I had to begin researching these things. But as I started to research them, as you were talking, uh, I was thinking about how you said that leads to the spiritual side. Because what would happen is, what was taking place is that I was already Christian, right? I was already a Christian. I was already staunch in that belief. And these texts were now, yeah, and these texts were now, um, and the things that were revealed, and then the confirmation of it, because the text just became confirmation at that point. It was almost a, it was almost as though I could, um, I knew that there were aliens, and I'm like, who are these aliens? And so the cuneiform text and me and, and and reading these brought up all of these stories that were scriptural, and recognizing right away that the entire Old Testament was written based off of them. And right away, I mean, you, you can't deny it. And then recognizing the date of this cuneiform text, clearly much, 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 much earlier. And um, so then you began to recognize that all of the names were Hebrew. And, of course, the Hebrews were writing them. You got Moses writing, you know, writing the first books of the Old Testament and uh, Moses being a Hebrew and also reporting these on behalf of writing these during a time when, when he was under Pharaoh. So he was clearly getting the information from somewhere else, and he was clearly highly connected within that. So all of a sudden, all these things took place. But what was happening was it was destroying my my original belief system and my original faith. And so as a result of that, this is this is why we see backlash with it, because the initial reaction is a destruction of the false temple that you had. And you cannot build a new temple right, of, of new truths until you destroy the old one. And that's what was taking place in me, and it was so disheartening at first. And so I can totally – I fully understand the attacks. I absolutely get it. But, oh, and, and not and only that, that, not only that, yeah, as I, in my, my experience was different. Mine was like an un, a revealing process, like layers of an onion continued to go back for me until it was like oh, each yeah. truth led to another truth led to another truth. And, and as I was moving through this, and I'll give you a great example of how I react. I know enough of the Bible to understand, like, this one thing, that when, man created, when God created us in his own image, he created a man, and there wasn't a woman and a man at first. It was a yeah. one, one human, if you will, one being, one essence, or whatever you want to call it, right? And I mm-hmm. always had the problem with, with the fact when people, you know, would talk about, um, you know, God as being gender of being a male, I would say, wait a second, if we were created in his image, it was male and female at first because women, woman was, remember, taken from man. Oh, man, that would cause a fight right away, right? Because God mm-hmm. is a patriarch. God is a male. God is all masculine, right? And I just didn't buy yep. into that, Derek. I just didn't buy into that. Yeah. How could God create us in his image and leave the female out? That's stupid, right? That's, that's a paradox. Yep. So that it, it became it, very Hebrew is what it became. Right. I can't even yeah. have that conversation because if you don't understand that one truth, you're not going to understand anything we talk about. You really won't. Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, just like we were talking about, the, you know, the, the flaming sword in the garden itself that spins in both directions that prevents you from going back into Eden, right? That, that, and that's guarded by the angels. That essentially is the concept of the entire garden of Eden story. So the reality is that what we were talking about earlier today, I thought it was interesting. It was like the, the bomb that you set off when you question the garden of Eden story, 
when you just go, what, what's going on here? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Immediately, that, that flaming sword that prevents you from going in is activated in every single person. They just lash out, even though they might not even understand it. They might not have they understood not that have story when they first heard it. Yeah, ever, but yet they will defend it to the, yes, they will defend it to the death, Uh, like, and and so what we were talking about the other day is that this is programmed in us genetically, it's literally been programmed into our DNA, and that is where we get into the next level of it being the matrix, that instantly you're like, wait a minute, there's a bigger story here, that onion layer gets peeled off, and it gets more startling and more the deeper you go into that onion. And, and, and the thing is, you know this as well as I do, Steve, that we're not even to the core of the onion yet. No, I'll give you an example, right? So um, I, I, I'm not a, I, I don't consider myself an expert, expert in church history, but I'm a very knowledgeable person in church history, okay? I can – come on, Charlie. My dog is uh, – Charlie is being naughty right now. i got to put him over here. Okay, so uh, I, I was uh, – where was I going with that again? I just got distracted. Uh, you, were, uh, you, you were saying that your church history was solid. Oh, right. So church history is really solid, right? And I thought um, because and, – and the way I looked at church, church history was the, can, the canon that was developed at the Council of Nicene had damn good reason to be assembled the way it did. And I just accepted the history as being the, that that's the way the Word of God was going to come together. That's the way the Lord – you know, that's the way he provided – to make sure that I had access to the scriptures in 2018, right? That's what I thought, but here's, you know. But -hmm. then you come to find out in their selection of the canon, they left out things like the Book of Thomas, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Giants. The problem Mm -hmm. problem with the Book of Enoch, and, and what's really criminal about that, was it was quoted by both Jesus and Jude in the New Testament. So how could you read it? And Peter refers to it as well. Right, and so it's like, and, and so that started setting off all kinds of questions. What are they hiding from me? Why would they not want me to read the Book of Thomas? Well, thank the Most High that these clay tablets were found in both Qumran and other areas around the Middle East that contained scrolls that had the Book of Thomas, that had the Book of Enoch, that had the Book of Isaiah that had all these scriptures that I relied on for my faith. So at first it was comforting, but then it was disturbing, my friend. Because when you start mm-hmm. to read the book of Thomas, and what's the verse that you keep quoting to me all the time in our conversations? Could you share that again with us, that one verse in Thomas? Which, which verse are you talking about? The one that talks about you being dis- – the one that you, you, you at first – Yeah, let one, seek, well, let one seek, and when he seeks, he will find. And when he finds, he will become disturbed. And when he becomes disturbed – he will become angry, and when he becomes angry, he will rule over all. Right, and that that was like that made no that didn't fit into my um, fundamentalist Christian views at all when I started reading those things. I don't know if that was your same experience. So it was, and then add into this whole concept, concept all of the learning that comes from looking at the Planet X, Nibiru, Dark Star, uh, theology, philosophy, and history. Now you're confronted mm-hmm. with all of that. And it really makes you question your faith. I think a lot of people that are into this stuff have a period where they're just like, oh, my gosh, is my faith even real anymore? Do I believe in a lie? I know. I see. I felt it. 
because these, yeah, when you, particularly these, yeah, particularly when you read these cuneiform texts and you read about these god beings, right? So you read about the um, the Anunnaki when you read about the uh, you know these Sumerian gods traveling in their celestial chariots that are essentially powered by water. Right now, if you thought about that, if you read those cuneiform texts um, 150 years ago or in the 1600s, obviously you hadn't, you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't know what that celestial chariot powered by water could have been. But today, watching a rocket take off, now you can all of a sudden say, "Hey, that's powered by water because it's hydrogen, and hydrogen is water." And then all of a sudden, you hear about Moses saying. The Father appears to me, or God appears to me, in a pillar of fire by uh, a pillar of fire by night, and a pillar of smoke by day. And then you watch a rocket take off in the daytime, and you see all of the steam coming out of it because it's burning hydrogen. And you realize, well, there's the pillar of smoke. And then you see it take off at night. You don't see any of the smoke. All you see is fire. And you go, wait a minute, pillar of fire and pillar of smoke. What am I missing here? Right. And then, then another group comes in, comes to mind into the picture, and that was the Gnostics. I remember mm-hmm. in Bible school reading about the Gnostics, and it was almost like uh, reading Machiavelli during the 16th century. You couldn't do it, right? If you tried yeah. to talk about the Gnostics even in Bible school and theology school, you were immediately lamblasted. We do not speak yep. of the Gnostics here. The Gnostics will be not spoken of. They are not being to be spoken of. Never say that word again. I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What did they believe? Why did they get persecuted? Why were they murdered? What were they hiding? Again, you start to go down a rabbit hole. And then you start to learn the Gnostics mm-hmm. said things like, well, no, there's this guy named Yahweh that came in, and, and he basically created this energy system, and he, and, and he feeds off of humans. Now, this is at the same time I'm looking at guys like David Icke also, because when you go into this world, you're going to run into people like David Icke. David Icke yep. said the same thing. And, then I'm, and he's, he doesn't even seem religious to me. He's just a dude that's talking about what happened. You start, and then all yeah. of a sudden you start, these verses that didn't make sense to me started, started to make sense to me. When you started to put yeah, these and things just, together. It, the ahead, statement that sorry. you made that, you know, you just, it made you sick, right? That's where I liken the, you know, where it says uh, in Revelation, that John, you must eat this scroll, and in your mouth it will be sweet like honey, but in your stomach it will make you bitter. It will turn it bitter. And I'm like, that's exactly what finding this truth is. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. You literally feel free, but at the same time, you feel sick for the things that you've believed before because you, it's literally permeated your life. You're nauseous from it. And all of a sudden, yeah. that statement, that statement came to life, and I literally threw my hands in the air and went, "Oh my gosh, Father, you're so amazing! You're so amazing that you put this in here. These confirmations become foundational to you. They are literally the cornerstone in your whole new belief system. And that's where you recognize that this, that these revelations are coming, just like it said that in in the end, all things hidden will be revealed. And that's why they're being revealed because we're actually seeing them take place as well." Well, that's another so, yeah, thing. That, that the Gnostics being really... fed to the lions, like. <laughs> no, no, let's talk about the Gnostics for a second. Just mentioning the word Gnostic is enough to make people throw up. And, and it, yeah. makes me think of, it makes me think, what did the Gnostics know? See, th- th- I always had the opposite reaction to when authority told me not to know something. That is something that's wired deeply in my genetics, I can tell you that. 
So if somebody in authority tells me it's this way and that way, I automatically say, what are you hiding from me and what is the real story, right? And that's just been yeah, my nature. So I don't, I don't, I've never been able to buy into it. Let me give you another example. What about in, in the creation story where they talked about let us create man in our own image? And what about when they said it is not good that this man should be alone? What, where did that all come from? Yes. How do you, yeah, where how does do that you come from? Letting, not only – so yeah, no, then you get the into answer, the text of that. Yeah, no, I they, they, no. Then you then you ask the theologians, and they'll say, "Oh, well, that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity." I'm like, "Oh, that was a good answer for about ten years until it ate away at my soul, and finally I had to say, who are these people that said, let us create man in our own image?' Because the word is Elohim. Yeah, <laughs> like, which means God. Which means God's plural, right? Yeah. And just so to to give everybody a bit of an education, Elohim, um, the in the Hebrew, even today, now it has meanings change over time, right? They rewrite these dictionaries, but Elohim, even in the um, in the ancient Hebrew, still means the same thing. E L means God. L. So when you say L, so think of uh, you know Elon Musk signing his name E L. Um, uh, L means God. The O-H is a, of exaltation, so a, a higher order. And I am, the I am on the end of the word is like pluralizing it, like we would put an S on the end of the word to make it plural. So it means exalted gods. So the exalted gods said, let us create man in our image. So instantly, who are these exalted gods if there is a father? And then you immediately have to, if you are where it says, precept upon precept a little bit here a little bit there then you just jump ahead to where where christ says but the father is spirit and then you go wait a minute where's this father and spirit walking in the garden hanging out with adam there's a problem here right so you you have to you know everybody will say you can't take the word out of context don't take the bible out of context but the bible tells you to read it out of context because it's been scrambled so if the Bible and the words and the prophets are telling you to read this out of context, a little bit here, a little bit there, precept upon precept. In other words, take this precept over here, compare it with this precept over here, and then a little bit here from there and a little bit here from there, and this is going to assemble the story. That's called cryptography. That's data hiding. That means that it was done that way to prevent – so when it was revealed to you, you would begin to find these things. So whoever was actually coordinating the writing of it intended – for this to be discovered by those that were intended to discover it. And that's where we all come in, is that when we see this and the rest of the world is dead to it, and they can't see it, just like it says, for, you know, they will not have ears to hear or eyes to see, right? They, they will be dead, and they will be dead to these things. Christ said, let the dead, they're already dead. The line's been drawn in the sand. Their heart has been hardened. So they can't see these things. So clearly that we, we become people to, to scream these at the mountaintop and say, these are the truths that we see, and those of you that have ears to hear, hear it, because it's already been shown to you in the same way that it was shown to us, and we're simply these messengers to bring these things to you. Right, well, and it brings to mind, you know, it, it, again, these are the things that just jarred me into this, this thinking process that I started going into. And, and now let me talk about my personal experience. And, and I think many of us share this experience, and, and if you're really honest with me, and that is the experience of losing a loved one, somebody dying in your life. They're gone. They're dead. Okay? They die. You know, you go to the funeral, you bury them, right? 
it's the most offensive thing to me, Derek, and I think to most people, right, in, in the world. We hate death. We hate it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to ask yourself, yeah, why? This doesn't seem like a natural process to me. And I never accepted when people like the Hindus and others would, would say to me, oh, no, this is the natural cycle of life. Isn't it beautiful? Look at how the flower lies and everything. And I'd always be like, bullshit. Everything died. I, I'm not for that. Yes. I, I'm never going to accept that. I don't care what anybody tells me. And, and I've come to find out now that that was the father in me saying, I don't accept that. <laughs> so I'm yes. in agreement with the father. I know I'm in agreement with the father on this issue. He hates death. I hate yes. death. Well, we're not intended to die because we don't. That need your immediate attention. Sorry about that. My, my computer just went nutty. That always happens. This is the gremlins coming out. Sorry. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> my bad. So, yeah. So the, the thing is, is this is where this is also another area where, you know, I'm sure people listening have, have heard me say these things many times is that we are already eternal beings. Right. This is. This is articulated throughout all scriptures that we die in this flesh. This flesh goes away. This flesh is corruptible, which is precisely why Christ's message was die to the flesh and the flesh being a separate. Literally, it's as though it's as though you're wearing somebody else's skin around you. This is not of the father. This is not it. This isn't what we're supposed to be. So we are eternal and and we are literally light. Our soul, our our soul itself. You know, when you die, you lose the weight. The minute somebody dies, talking about death, the second you die, your body loses the weight of a nickel in weight instantaneously. Instantaneously, just that little tiny bit of weight, the weight of a nickel. Literally, your soul carries weight. Now we seem to think that you know weight in our in our carnal minds of this flesh mind. We seem to think that that value is in mass. Right, but the reality is we lose. That's the that's the true value. The true value that we have is in our soul. None of this flesh, if it's corruptible and dies, has any value whatsoever. And this flesh makes us do certain things. We've literally become animals, and we act like it. And well, so, when dying to the flesh, let's that back up a step. No, let's back up a step because we went from God creating, you know. And man in his own image, you know, and then and then all of a sudden we get to this great conflict. And this conflict is with death, but it's also with this, like you're talking about, with this this body that got, that that got put on us, okay? By according to scripture, by God, killed, actually used the skin of an animal to clothe us. What does that mean? Does it mean that he made skin cloth like uh, like Tarzan? Is that what you think that means? No, he yeah. literally clothed us with flesh from animals. That's what it says. When the fall yeah. happened, now, they had to be clothed in something, so they clothed us in flesh. Yeah, now, Steve, I'm going to tell you a story here that drove me crazy. So this is where my arguments about who I knew the father to be, because he he shows himself to you. That's why... Look, the, the, really, the very first commandment for us is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. 
right? So all of these things being wisdom, knowledge, food, food in the Bible or the bread is referred to as wisdom, right? So you're being fed. So I, here I am having this conversation with these ladies that come into the, you know, to the, uh, they have a prison ministry and they start preaching to the, uh, to the inmates and this old lady who's the mother of the daughter that's there it's a mother daughter they're very proud that they're that they have a, a ministry and very boastful in it in fact so this has become their identity they really don't necessarily care whether they're saving any souls they they just like just like the pharisees they like the best seats in the house and the honor and everything and people calling them religious oh what religious people what godly people they have a prison ministry so this lady called herself a prophetess and she comes in and gives the story of adam and eve and she says and and this is after having the you know getting to know the father and going I know the father and she she comes in and she gives the story of Adam and Eve and she says and you know and Eve ate from the apple and then so did Adam and then they were shameful and so they covered themselves in fig leaves and then God comes and says you know where are you and and uh, and they reveal themselves and then she says and God killed an animal and sewed together the clothing from the animal clothing of the skin from the animal and put it on them. And I stopped her and I said, excuse me, um, and she was using the – when she said that God created Adam and Eve, she used the word bara. So you know, from nothing it was made, just poof, it was made. So this is Adam and Eve were made bara from nothing, just bang, they were, they were there. And then uh, – and I said, excuse me, where, where is it in the Bible that God killed an animal and sewed together clothing? And she said, well, many theologians say that. And I said, I don't care how many theologians say that. I don't care whether Billy Graham told you that. It doesn't matter. Where is it in the Bible? Because it's, I don't see that. And she goes, well, it's there. And I said, no, it's really not there. And, um, and she said, well, I don't understand what, you know, what your problem is. You don't just come and challenge those that are teaching you. And then I said, do you know anything about Christ? Because that's all he did. If we're supposed to be like him, then I'm supposed to be challenging you and questioning that very thing that's not in the word. And then she said, um, and she said, well, I don't understand why you have a problem. What's the difference, you know, whether he clothed us in skin? And I said, because, number one, you're wearing the clothing of skin. It wasn't clothing like you're wearing. It's this on your body, number one. And I said, number two, there's a problem there because you're telling me that the father that made man out of nothing, just poof, has to go kill an animal now and sew together clothing from the animal to put on it? I said, there's a problem there. Do you not see that? And she lost her mind, and they left, and they never came back. So just without those types of questions as we go through that, that when something doesn't reconcile with who the father is, that's why he says, seek ye first, right? Find him. And then the things that make sense as I've continuously spoken about, the attributes of the Father and the attributes of the enemy become very evident. Now you're reading the Bible becomes very evident who's who and what's what. And then when you're reading about Yeshua walking around and saying, telling the Hebrews, your father is Satan, things begin to make a lot more sense. And these things, these texts, all of the Nagamati texts we were talking about, these things rise up in you. And now Again, that seeking, and then one will become uh, disturbed and then become angry. You get angry because you've been completely deceived. And now we have a church, a massive body of churches, both Muslims and Christians, the largest, the majority of the religious in the world. They're all waiting for some coming deception, and they're all waiting for some return. And it's like the return has happened, and the deception has already happened. 
The return has happened precisely as Christ said. It's being established from the east, like lightning striking in the east and flashing in the west, in all of us. This is the awakening of this. This is the spirit of Christ within all of us. It is happening, and you're blind to see it. You don't even see it, and that's why it's like a thief in the night, that those that are still sleeping won't know that, that, that Christ returned and came and left. Until they've woken up and found that the thief came into their house and took everything of real value, which is all of us that are awake. That's my that's my pulpit speech. Oh no, you! Had, I, I was just listening to you preach. It was great, um, and I love doing that. <laughs> love listening to you preach. Listen though, and, and this is let me give you a great example of how even I look. I react the same way as everybody else when you first hear something. So one of the more intriguing people I listen to is a guy named Inner Circle. Now this is a he is a heretic of heretics. Okay, period. Heretic. What is a heretic? It's somebody that uh, basically uh, denies the current narrative. I guess I'm a heretic too. But anyway, Inner Circle. Heretic. Yeah. Well, any, anyway, this guy Inner Circle, and I listen to a lot of crazy people, and a lot what would be by the world considered crazy people, for sure. And uh, But I'm not calling him one. I'm just saying some of the stuff that's just out there. <clears throat> one of the things he was talking about was an interesting thing that he hypothesized or had did that led to through his study of the cuneiform that talked about the material around Planet X or Nibiru, the home planet of the Anunnaki, apparently, was, uh, our, was the base building block of RNA. We know RNA is responsible for the reproductive process. That's how we... That's how we break and tie together genetic code with RNA. So ribofluidinescent, it's also the same word as rib, 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 RNA, rib. Yep. So um, so, you, so this guy started putting together the, these pieces, and, he, and, and basically what he was, was proving was the whole act of copulation or re, the reproductive system, that whole system, birth, life, death, and whatever, was a prison system was a system that was designed to consume humans. Now, the first time I heard this, this was a couple months ago, are a heretic. The Lord created man. Then he created woman and man. Don't you sit there and tell me any different. I mean, I was bad, right? Shut that thing yep. off, right? That's heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The father keeps coming back to me and goes, oh, by the way, Steve, look at, let's take a look at the double strand. Let's look. Let's take a look at the double helix of DNA. Let's take a look at every symbol that the Masons, the Vatican, et cetera, have. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. Let's look at the. And then all of a sudden, the light just came out. It's like, wow, this is a prison system, and the prison system is the life death cycle itself. Mm-hmm. Bing, you got nope. it. And yep. now all of a sudden, I no see, question I, about but, it. But when I first when I first heard it, though, I just was mad and angry. Like, how could he say this? I've been to Bible school my whole life. This is not the story I was told in Bible school. Then here's then, then you know how the Spirit of the Lord is. So the Spirit of the Lord comes to me and goes, Steve, instead of looking at the Garden of Eden as the creation story of all things, look at it as the creation story of this version of humanity. Now look at it like it's a honeypot. Now does it look a little different to you? Then he showed me the vesicisis and started showing me all these symbols and how they worked. And I was like, What? So, in other words, what you're telling me, Lord, is that we're basically angel sons of God that are caught in a trap and they're eating our souls? So he led me through all that to get to that point. And that's right when Derek from, 
you know, global witness calls me up right when I get this revelation, by the way, everybody. And he's like, hey, Steve, how you doing with the father and your revelations lately? I told, I told Derek about this. He goes, he goes, that's exactly what the father told me too. And then it was like four or five other people said that's what the father told them too. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And then, and then, I had to, then it was like the father said, make this video. Uh, it was called the, the Real Matrix. Remember, remember leading up to that, Derek? I was calling you and I was going, yeah. Derek. I know that when I put that video up, I'm drawing a line in the sand because they're going to know that I know the secret. And he goes, yep. you're right. Remember that? And uh, yeah. so <laughs> they and know I know you the secret now. Yourself. Yeah, and here's the thing. So this, this harkens back to the Lord of the Rings, right? So the, the, uh, if anybody hasn't checked it out, there is a, uh, there's a short little video. It's called Describing Lord of the, the, the Lord of the Rings in uh, Five Minutes, I think, or something like that. Um, and it's a great description, but of of kind of this whole system, and uh, it, but it but the great part is is that the ring itself is about controlling, right? One ring to rule them all, so mind control. So the ring being the ring over Christ's head, the ring being the crown of thorns that you're not allowed to think differently. Um, all of these all of these different symbols started you know showing up to me. Now J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were very close friends. C.S. Lewis, obviously being a theologian, had some very, uh, very spiritual uh, uh, understandings, and so did J.R. Tolkien. He was not a, he was not even a believer until him and C.S. Lewis started talking. But so Lord of the Rings came down to that he figured this out too, but he couldn't speak it in terms of today because everybody would have called him nuts. So he wrote it in the way of Lord of the Rings. And so when you watch Lord of the Rings, understand that entire story is everything that he was shown. So this is how prophecy, because it's all very prophetic. So, But the ring itself, just like you're saying, is when you said you've drawn a line in the sand, right? Now they know I know this secret. Well, the reality is the archons, as, um, as the Gnostics would call it, right? So the, the rulers of this world, the demonic rulers of this world, that they, when, when the hobbit puts the ring on and he disappears, right? So this is... That's the uh, symbology of him disappearing. Like, you know this truth now. Now you're separated from the world. You put this with the second you put that ring on, everybody else around you that is of this world won't see you because you're an entirely different person. You're like a ghost to them. They can't understand even the words that are coming out of your mouth because their brain is in a different place. They're fully programmed. Just like it's like you're talking a completely different language, and that's also scriptural that you will speak. You will speak a language. You will sing a song that nobody could, nobody knows but themselves, right? So all of these types of things are prophetic. But you put that ring on, you disappear to everybody else. But who becomes? What happens to you when you, when the Hobbit puts that ring on? Once you're talking these things, you become right. unbelievably well, now- unbelievably visible to the enemy. So now you're glowing like a freaking beacon, flashing all over the world, and of course you're going to get attacked. Hmm. And in my in my case, and we talked about this too, and, and I asked your counsel on this, it's like in the area of finances, things like that. It's like the, my whole yeah. view of money has changed now. And I know a lot of folks out there are like, oh, Steve, he's a scammer. No, I was never scamming anybody. I was always just like, well, I'll just ask for donations and, you know, hopefully keep the lights on. And things just kept getting worse and worse. But people were very gracious, like with Matthew and as an example, when I needed a big favor from the community. They helped me buy a car so that we could go to Matthew every day. So everything was being taken care of. But in my mind, I was thinking to myself, it was it was just too much right down to the wire. Like, like 
I would have to pay my cell bill for $50, and I'd get the $50 10 minutes before the cell phone company billed my PayPal card. You know what I'm saying? I'm right down yeah. to the edge like that right now. And I'm not saying this uh, to, as a victim thing. I'm saying this because this is part where I'm at my development right now. The whole financial system is theirs. It's, it's it, theirs. It's not only and, theirs, but it's not only theirs. It's there to lead you to a place where you you will never understand true value because the reality of it is is once you come in contact with the Father – you once you come in contact and you're and there's communion there, you literally you have no problem even sleeping on the dirt. So there's this conflict because you have all of these requirements in this world. And this is where I liken this to, you know, that you're standing with one foot on the sand and one foot on the sea, as scripture would say in these times. That you're part right. of both worlds. Well, and, no, and let so me it's play like the, wait, wait. Let me play let me play the role of all the subscribers that are listening right now and, and just kind of Ask Derek the question, right? And let's talk about this a little bit. Look, man, I got to take care of my wife and my kid and the people that are around me and all that kind of stuff. And and I I'm only relating this to you guys and uh, intimately talking from my heart because I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and say, "Wait a second, I'm in a pigsty, and and I got to figure out how I'm going to balance my life in this new reality." You know what I'm saying? And that's where I'm at right now, Derek. I'll just be honest. Yeah, I I fully understand that. And and see, and that was my position when I first when this revelation first came to me um, and I was told, you know, you're going to go to prison. And my wife told my wife, I told my kids, everybody thought I was completely nuts. I'd lost my mind. And I said, yes, I've been told I'm going to go to prison for twelve hundred sixty days, which for those listening that don't know, I ended up two years later going to prison for literally exactly twelve hundred sixty days. And and have evidence of that, that I made those statements. I made those statements on video just because I knew that nobody would believe me if it happened. So with all that, before that, I, I get these revelations and I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to uh, – I'm, I'm rationalizing this the best way I possibly can and going, i got to start a church. Now, I made tons of money in my life, and uh, but I was at a time where I was, I was um, going through some transitions of – of companies that I built and unfolded, and and so it was a very confusing time for me because I wasn't finding any satisfaction in anything that I was doing, and so I was taking the money that I had and started to build a church, and I was ready to go, and so I'm I'm building the church and I'm building systems and I'm you know basically going I got this God don't worry about it I got this man I'm going to build a church I'm going to and and literally all of it was wiped out I mean cleaned out and thrown in prison. You couldn't have been more abrupt. And the amazing thing was is it was a requirement. Now, hindsight, I really realized that I needed it. And with that, I, I, I was able to get this faith that he was so in-depth inside of me that I knew that coming out, I didn't, I didn't want anything. Because I knew that if I was motivated, Steve, by anything at all, if I wanted a, if I wanted a comfortable bed – then hidden within my words, because I'm still wearing this flesh, that if I wanted a comfortable bed, that hidden within my words would be the, the need, right? That I would maybe change the way I did things. And so when it says that people will seek speakers and teachers that, that, um, that itch their ears, that, that say things that they want to hear, well, that's why, because that pastor at the church, even if he was revealed these truths, he would never speak them because he would lose 90% of his flock, right? So he's trying to pay the bills. He has these needs. And I was immediately recognized that if I want to tell this truth, 
then I've got to be I've got to be 100% comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's what prison taught me: being very comfortable, being uncomfortable. Right? Sleeping on freezing concrete floors in the wintertime, literally freezing, shivering your butt off, and in the summertime, being in a in a, a concrete block that's so hot that the walls are dripping sweat. Right? So I, I'm uncom- I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I learned that, and that taught me that. But more importantly, I learned to, that, that I'll be taken care of. So the faith, that's where it comes in. That I'll feed you. Do I not care more for the sparrow, right, than I do for you? And they don't toil. Like they, don't, they don't have to worry about eating. They do. I provide. And so as a result, what's happened is I don't ever ask for – Steve, you, you know this. You watch my videos. I don't ever ask for anything. I don't have a donation channel. I don't have any of that. But whatever the case, out of that as a result, I know that if the father, father knows what I need, and a, and a perfect example of this is I needed hygiene. I needed soap. I needed some lotion. You know, I'm out here in the middle of the desert. It's dry. And I'm going, dang, 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 I need, need, you know, I really need some hygiene. Well, out of the blue, a box shows up of a listener that says, you know what? The father really showed, told me that, uh, you know, we have these products, and I just wanted to give these to you, all these incredible natural soaps and lotions and everything. I was like, how specific can you get? I needed hygiene. I got hygiene. I need food. I get food. Because the reality is, is if you're feeding others, then they want to participate and feed you. And so it's not necessarily it, – it almost triggers something in us, Steve, that when we ask for something, that it, it diminishes it. Because when you rely on the Father, then he can speak to the other heart. But so it's kind of taking the joy out of it. This is what I've always said is that it takes the joy out of it. If if, so, if the Father puts on somebody's heart to send me – you know, a box of crackers. I'm thankful for it because that's what he put on their heart. And, and it's, they send me a box of crackers. I mean, you know how many people have sent me boxes of rice and beans? I mean, bags of rice and beans. I love it. I eat rice and I love rice and beans. So I have no problem relying on him because he does. And, and, I, and I recognized that I don't get to interfere with how he operates in people. Somebody says, hey, can I send you this? I don't say no, even if I don't need it. If they feel led to send it, send it. I don't know what it's going to be used for, but I'm sure if Father told you to, to send it to me, well, then send it to me. So it's, I don't turn anything down. I don't get involved in, in their walk and their relationship. Their walk and their relationship is theirs. And so at the same time, I don't want to take it away from them of the Father speaking to them as well by asking for something. So to me, it's a very delicate balance, and it is the, it's the step of faith that is required. And, and again, this isn't telling you how to do something, Steve. I'm just telling you how it's worked and how it's been shown for me. And, I've, and, and no. as a result, all of the things, the visions that the Father has shown me for us to do is happening. I mean, property, people wanting to be involved in property, all of these things are coming together. And I've never one time said, hey, I need money to go buy this property. It's just being purchased and brought to the and, – and that's the whole point of the book of Acts. They just brought things and laid it at the apostles' feet, right? So this is, this is what's happening. The church is being built naturally through the word, and that's how you know it's true, right? That's how you know it's – that's why you can stand on it as the truth. Right, and Sorry, so I didn't want to I eat up that, all the time. No, no, no. All the all again. I'm I'm asking not only for myself, but for for I think with a lot of other people because I I do think that the that the economy, uh, you know, when you think about it, at just in, in pure economic terms, 
you know, that you, we've talked about this before, that, that we know that there's going to be a great change, a great financial change coming. And in yes. that financial change, and, and, and I, will, I will just kind of recite uh, Lynette Zeigler of uh, ITM Trading, who is one of the best anal- analysts of the, of the whole financial fiat system and so forth. And she, she basically said that by the one, I believe, it's the year 2020, 2020, they're going to be able to renegotiate or do a major reset on interest rates. Now, I'm bringing this up as a very 3D example of what Derek's talking about. So hang on with me. There's a, there's a point to this. They're going to be able to reset interest rates. So what that means is even if you have a fixed rate mortgage or even if you have a fixed rate automobile loan or if you have any kind of debt that's tied to this number, which is a lot of what the American economy is, um, it's going to throw you know you it's going to throw you into a personal financial chaos. What's going to happen is if you if you're dependent on your mortgage and your equity and all these different things, they're basically just going to do a big asset grab. And so every what's going to happen is the interest rates could go so high. We've seen in Venezuela, Argentina, places like this. So I'm not trying to cause fear. What I'm trying to do is make the point that the, the money monetary system that we live in is so fragile. What is it going to look like when that thing collapses? What's it going to look like uh, for not just the regular person out on the street, but what is it supposed to look like for the church? What's it supposed to look like for the person that espouses Christ and, is, and considers other people like I consider Derek my brother? I really do. It doesn't mean that we agree all the time. Brothers don't agree all the time, but he's my brother. So what's going to happen? Derek, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I think this is very relevant right now to be talking and preparing for this. Well, my thoughts are this, is that this is the whole preparation of, of allowing the Father to provide, right? And, but more importantly, recognizing that getting yourself comfortable with being uncomfortable is important. And also understanding that you have something that this world right now sees of value, right? They see money as value. The only reason, let, let's face it, money is a church, okay? It, it is a religion, because you have faith in that dollar that it has value. It's a piece of paper. That's why it says backed by the full faith and credit of the people. So basically, not only is it backed by your faith, and that your faith is actually in the indicator that the financial market uses for your faith is you are willing to spend it. So that's why the economics, the economic system is gauged by how much people are spending, because that indicates the faith. So now, what happens when the faith in that is destroyed? then nobody is going to use it or accept it. So when I ask people, hey, you got a million dollars in the bank? Yes. Okay, well, how much is that worth? They'll say a million dollars. And I'll go, how much is a million dollars worth? And they'll go, well, a million dollars. And immediately I I ask, well, how much is a million dollars actually worth? You ask the question again. This is the breaking of the matrix mind. And say it's worth nothing. It's only worth something because you believe it is, and it's only worth something because the person that you would give it to believes it's worth something. But what happens when that belief system is shattered and you no longer have faith in it? Now you have a bank account that's full of nothing because it always was nothing. Anything of true value cannot lose its value. That's why gold and silver became an intrinsic value because no matter what period of time, gold and silver maintains a value. It has an intrinsic value because it's usable. There's something that you can use it for. 
right? It's a malleable metal. You can do something with it. You can make a tool with it. You can make a bowl with it. There's, you can use it. So it always has value, intrinsic value. The true intrinsic value is your spiritual value. So understanding who you are and understanding that, number one, we now have, and this is what fasting is all about. We have, a, we have an idea that we have to eat three meals a day. That's coded in you. When all of a sudden you don't eat three meals a day and you realize you can still actually get fat eating one meal a day, you're like, wait, something's wrong here, right? We also have a system that tells you, throw that food away. We have a consumer-based system that wants you to spend and spend and spend and spend and spend. But and, and in prison, here's the one thing I learned. I would take food from the chow hall, put it in my locker, eggs, turkey, you name it. It's in my locker. It's 120 degrees in the dorm. It's in there for three days. I eat it. Do I die? Do I get sick? No. Nobody does. All of these things become lies. Everything is about a consumerism. I mean, think about the word consumer. Consumer means to use up. And we pride ourselves in this world of being great consumers. We're great user-uppers. Wow, what, a, what an amazing quality we've developed. So well, all of this these is, this, things. Yeah, just grounding this to this recent revelation, when you start to look at the whole life-death cycle and the whole eating and consuming model, it really makes the whole thing about sustainability poignant. It's a moral imperative not to take more than you need. Do you know what I'm saying, Derek? It's like I'm coming into all those moral dilemmas right that, now, too, and it's really that, that, it's interesting. That is what sin, it, when it, and, sorry, Derek. Go ahead. Lost just, yeah, lost there a bit, Steve. You, no, you cut out on that. Go ahead. My bad. I, hopefully, I can. Hopefully, this will get better. Nope. Go ahead. It, point where you said uh, using more more than you need. Essentially, that's the crux of sin. So this is what I've explained time and time again, and I don't think it'll ever get old, and people can't hear it too much. That sin. I mean, there's lots of different things, and you, you know, we've talked about sin, but in every statement, there's multiple truth statements that all apply to the same statement, right? So. Just like a Hebrew word, Torah, meaning the way, Torah, meaning the truth, and Torah, meaning the life. One word means more than one thing. So in the same thing that sin can mean lots of different things, but at the core of it, of who we're supposed to be, is that the tree and the, 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 all of the natural nature, right? These things live without sin because they don't take more than they need, ever, they don't store up more, more than they need. Even the squirrel that stores up nuts for the winter only stores up enough for him for the winter. He doesn't store up 25 years of nuts because he can. The tree doesn't put its big-ass roots in the ground and starve out all the bushes around it and the trees around it because it's bigger and it can do that. It takes just what it needs and only what it needs, and it doesn't but in fact, its roots grow and combine with the roots of all the other plants, and they live cohesively, far more cohesively below the ground than they do above the ground. So this is, that's the crux of sin. If you're taking more than you need, and that's what, that's what we have to learn to be, and that's precisely the, the entire message of Christ was about, you know, look, Yeshua is walking around and explaining to everybody the financial systems, the coin from Caesar and the taxation and the real silver um, a shekel that comes out of the fish's mouth, all of the different things. He's speaking about value systems. All of Revelation speaks of the cosmological systems coming in. These things cause a certain, a certain element amongst the, those that dwell on the land, the churches, 
the churches will be acting in very specific ways, different ages of the churches. The, the church that is dead that will be spit out of the mouth because they're, they're lukewarm. They don't really, you know, they're more about themselves and not about the truth, which is the church of Odysseo, which is the church that we are living amongst today. You have all of the economic system collapses, which is why it speaks of the merchants off at sea looking at Babylon, great Babylon, this epic, this center of all of the economics of the world. Okay, when, one, when people want to say to me, no, no, Rome is Babylon. Rome has no impact, no impact on the financial systems of the world in, in, in how it's conducted. They might have a, an overarching power over Washington, D.C., but this country – and New York City is the epicenter of all economic systems the world over. All of it is right there. And so when it talks about off at sea, and then, of course, you have the god of Semiramis, who is essentially the Statue of Liberty standing there overlooking, Semiramis being the queen of Babylon. So literally, it's, it's shown to you in living color. Like I told you, it's as though the enemy has to tell you the truth. That's like his, that's his agreement. He's got to tell you the truth. And so we feed you the truth and the lie at the same time. And our condition, because we're wearing this skin and we're so self-motivated, we opt for the lie because the lie feeds our bodies. It feeds our flesh. So we opt for the lie every time instead of the truth. And for me, I'd rather live in a cave in the dirt and eat the bugs off of the walls than succumb to this system. And I think that I think that's where many of us are are heading to. I don't know if I can say that I'm as I'm as uh, sold out yet as you are, but I I, I, I what's happening is I'll the get you context, there, Steve. Yeah, the context <laughs> of it though, the context of why this is important is clear to me now because I'm sick. I look so, so here. Let me give you an example. So I'm taking my dog for a walk today, and I'm just looking, noticing the trees and the flowers and how beautiful they are, and everything's blooming, and it's spring. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I'm just appreciating it. And then all of a sudden I came to the slow lament that everything here is going to die. And, that's just, and just that one thing, I know that this system is corrupt just by that one thing. Everything decayed. That's how I know this isn't the kingdom of God here. Because there's, there's no yes. – when I, when I talk about my knowledge of the Father and my relationship with the Father, when I, all I feel from him is life. One time I had a dream. And he was holding, there, in the dream, there was an individual holding a big D and a big L in front of me. The L was white, the D was black. And I, I got sucked into the D. The first thing that happened was I got sucked into this D. And it was the most empty place. There, not only was there no sad, no, not only was it a sad place, but there was no emotion. There was no joy, no peace no anything it was a void then i came out of the d and then it was like i went into the l the l was nothing but joy it was nothing but peace it was nothing but fellowship and you know all of those feelings right and the lord showed me that this separation this d that we're living in right now is not of his design this is not his design now, then you get into the theological, philosophical problem of why did he allow it, and that goes into a whole different discussion. We might go there. But the point being, at the end of the day, this is not a natural system. The life-death cycle is not what was intended. And when you start to realize that, you start to go, well, then what am I? I wasn't intended to, to live and die like this either. All right? So 
now these scriptures where Jesus, like, for example, we were talking about the prodigal son the other day. I Like, just a real simple example of this. He said, when the, when the, son, the younger son came home from his um, revelry, he comes back and the father said, I have my son back that once was dead and now is alive. And I always thought that's pretty extreme because he wasn't dead, literally dead, was he? Why would the father use such a strong word like no. he was dead? You know? Derek, you with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, absolutely, because he he is. And that's that harkens again, the precept upon precept again. Now you understand when uh, when the guy said, I want to follow you to Christ, but first let me go bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. So that, I mean, how can the dead bury the dead, right? It's because... They might think they are. Look, every, everyone probably listening is experienced. We're living amongst the walking dead right now. And that's only going to get worse as, as AI comes in and, and people begin to take on. I mean, right now, just like, I mean, they're, they're telling you what's going to happen, right? They're telling you that your device is going to be embedded. It's going to be part of you. Right now, you hold your phone in your hand and you're connected to all your social media before you know it. It's not going to be in your hands. It'll just be part of you. It's going to be embedded, and that's going to, and there'll be all sorts of ways to, you know, to justify that is that it will help monitor your health, and and it'll. Uh, no, all the here's that the about ultimate lie. Let's talk about it. This, let's put it on the table. So here's the lie I see coming. I see the lie coming where they're going to say, "Art of it's trans the transhumanist lie in stages." What it's going to say, they're going to say is. If you take this genetic upgrade, you won't get sick anymore. If you take this um, electromagnetic treatment that will activate the nanotechnology, you will never get sick again and you will never have to worry about death. They're going to say that to us. I really think yeah. they will, Derek. And, and what's going to happen of is course. If, we decide to, if we decide to take that change, we will literally become a zombie. You'll be a machine. You'll be tra- your essence will be trapped in a yeah. machine. I actually got a, a vision of this one time. It was almost like I was looking through, like the Lord let me see what it would look like from the perspective of your consciousness, that it would be this little teeny sepa-toned little porthole that you looked at the world through and you have no control over anything you do. <laughs> that doesn't sound yeah. pleasant to me. Um, so, again, this is because what they're going to do is they're, they're going to try to convince, yeah, we all hate death. So they're going to try to use the same line on you that the father used on me, but just turn it upside down. So the father comes to me and says, you're dead, and I want you to be alive. And, and I would just say, oh, I'm going to turn to the father and go back to his house, just like the prodigal son did. That's the path, for, that's the path of life. The path of death is to accept this, this transhumanist idea. Because it's just going to take us one more further step into them consuming even more of our soul essence, in my opinion, Derek. And that's why I'm so concerned yeah, that why people, you know, they're not listening. And and they're just going right along, just like you said, just like kind of like zombies. Yes, and, and we don't realize right now, we don't realize right now, people think that they're just using chemtrails. Look, they, they don't call them, uh, they don't call them smart particles for no reason whatsoever. Right, so these are nanotized Okay, so they're, the, they're nanotized particles. They're so small that they fit in a tiny little droplet of water, not a big drop like one that drops out of your sink, but a droplet of water as in a piece of steam, like those, those tiny little, tiny little drops. 
that these nanotized pieces of chemicals are also um, biological. So they can be activated. So the reality is not only are they using it for obfuscation, but they're also using it to transform what's there. So you have a device that then activates this, as we've, as we've discussed, that activates these nanotized particles in your body, and all of a sudden you literally will be a cyborg. And this might sound like sci-fi, but it's really not. If you just pay attention to the patents filed, if you pay attention to the scientists that are out there, if you pay close attention to what they're speaking about, they're talking about this stuff. It's, this, isn't a, this isn't like I'm talking about some science fiction movie. I'm telling you what the, what the scientific brains of the world are discussing at their forums and at their conferences. This is the stuff that they're working on and perfecting. They're spraying it in the air. You're, you're consuming this stuff. It's becoming part of you and not just part of you. But the amazing part is it's part of all of creation. So the trees, the animals, everything, they're going to be able to remake and reshape all of this. So I'm not too sure about this new world that we're talking about because I'm not so sure I want to be in that new world for them. No, and see, and and this is okay, so this is this is what really ticks me off being called a conspiracy theorist when I when I present a scientific paper. And I say, look at what these scientists are saying at D Lab as an example. The head of D-Lab, the CEO uh-huh. of D-Lab, says that I, when I come into the computer room, feel like I am worshiping at the, at, the, at the feet of an alien god. This is what this tech titan is saying. I'm not saying it. He said it. He's on the record saying it. I, I'm just repeating it, and then I get crucified, right? So here's the yeah. thing. We, let me give you another example, quantum physics, right, the study of quantum physics and super particles, and all this stuff that they're doing right now. Do you guys realize that quantum, <laughs> quantum physics has acknowledged the scientists, the highest, the leading scientists, all acknowledge that we are living in a hologram? That's what they say. It's a projected universe. That's what the quantum physicists are saying now, guys. Not Steve Olson, not Derek Bros, but these, these super brainy, yeah. brainiacs yeah. are saying it. And what was Stephen Hawkins saying before he left? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, it's he was not saying conspiracy the theory. These are, these are credible scientists, and we're just repeating what they say, and we're conspiracy theorists for repeating what they say. That's all we are. Now, again, Steve, this, go, this goes to the matrix that we're living in, okay? Because they can say it, but because they say it doesn't mean that it's true. Because everybody is so programmed that they have so few places that they receive their information. If it's not on their mainstream news, then it can't be important. What's important is the distraction that they're showing, the make-believe enemy of North Korea, the make-believe enemy of, of Iran, and the make-believe enemy over here, the other enemy over here with this other country. The reality is all of that stuff fulfills Scripture because they're fulfilling it intentionally. Let's face it, even Christ did this, okay? Christ said, go and find a donkey. He's fulfilling prophecy because he knows that once he does that, well, then it will have been done, and that he's standing in the gap of something. He's making it happen. They also are making these things happen, just like Trump signing this, signing this over and them opening the embassy in Jerusalem. Oh, my gosh, it's fulfillment of prophecy. Of course it is. Why do you think they're doing it? They are hastening this. This isn't that they... They're telling you all of the things of prophecy because Scripture is telling you that this would happen. It's as though some time traveler went and, and came here and was already here, wrote it in the book so you could read it. And then now we're reading it today, and it's all taking place. So imagine that they're – because obviously, talking about quantum physicists, 
time travel is absolutely possible. Not only possible, but probable. So yeah, fact, all of these things, yeah, was... and, and right down right down to the details, if you've ever watched, if you haven't ever watched it, Steve, you really need to, is the split line test with, uh, with photons, firing photons through the split lines, right? Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have. <laughs> and it ends up so, with three on yeah, the other firing side. <laughs> the, yeah, you end up with three on the other side, but it creates a waveform, right? That waveform is there, so it's a matrix. Now, that matrix is there. When those lights are being shot, being fired through these two lines, just to kind of give everybody a, a, an imagination, just uh, just you can do a YouTube search for this. Uh, just put uh, a double line photon test, and you'll probably find something on it. Multiple people have done this, but they basically take a a box and cut two two uh, two vertical lines in it, like an eleven, and then they take a photon generator that just fires little photon lights, pulses photon light through those two lines. Now, you would think that it would display just two horizontal lines of light on the other side, but it doesn't. It displays those photon lights, which, by the way, we are photon, like we are light, so that is what, what everything is made of is light. And so those, those photons go through those two lines, and they display this waveform on the wall behind the, the two lines. But when they take two cameras and they're observing the photon lights going through the lines, the image on the back wall changes to just two lines. So imagine this, is that because it's observed, you can't see the matrix. So the mere fact that you're looking at it makes it invisible. But if you're not observing it, it makes it visible, which is precisely why everything that is happening right now, that you can't necessarily see that. It's all described in Scripture. So these people, during these days, were seeing the cracking of the veil, which allows you to see things that you didn't see before, hear things that you didn't hear before, as we talked about on the, on the one video, Steve, that crack in the, in the magnetosphere. It's allowing us to receive information that we ordinarily would not have, which is why, in, in the end, is apocalyptic, apocalyptic. So the revealing of all of these things being taking place right now. So the matrix is real. If light is there... like you said, is holographic, we're observing it, and we're programmed to see and observe it in a very specific way, which is why that light changes in the cameras, because those cameras were being observed by people. So it's in how we receive something. So our brains are literally programmed to receive and delete in our minds the matrix. Now, I know this is deep stuff, and this goes way into the weeds, but it is very important to begin to grasp some of these scientific discoveries because this is what is apocalyptic to me, that our minds are receiving it, the mere fact that we observe it. And even Einstein recognized that, that you, you, it doesn't exist until you observe it. And so he was recognizing in the opposite form, it's not the fact that the matter itself changes. It's the fact that it changes within you. You actually receive it differently because you are programmed to receive it differently. Mm-hmm. How's that for the and, and, No, well, again, now we're getting into the whole the whole like uh, concept of code, right? And 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 thinking of this matrix as code, um, if you will, for a second, and that this code is running, and you are getting programmed by that constantly background running code, even if you know it or not. And that's the thing that's so disturbing about this stuff. When you start to look at yourself and you say, 
oh, my God, I have been acting like a programmed robot my whole life. This is, this is a very disturbing realization. And now you come into the idea of sovereignty. This is something that happens in the truther, I think, too. If, you haven't, if, you're, a, if you're a true truther, you're going to run into this concept of sovereignty at some point. And this is a very difficult one. This is a conversation we had uh, a couple days ago. I think it was yesterday even. And I'd like you to kind of repeat what you said to me about this because I, up until yesterday when you were sharing this, I couldn't get the paradox between – because, listen, I really do believe that we're supposed to act as sovereign beings. I really do believe that that's part of our role in, in, the, in, the, in the spiritual realm, that we, that we have a right to be sovereign entities in this universe to travel to do whatever we you know to do whatever we feel like we need to do and um i have i believe that then i come across and i say but yet i see this kind of you know hierarchical like you know there's there's the most high god and you know how do i become subservient to him yet sovereignty how does that work well it's it's one is many right and many is one. Now, that's why where I say that everything that the Father has gets corrupted by the enemy. So you're going to see statements. This is where people will compare me to a Luciferian because I'm mentioning things, that how they practice. Because the reality is the Luciferians run the world. And they run the world because they run the matrix. And so, of course, in order to disclose the truth, I'm going to be disclosing truth about how Luciferianism works because it's what runs the world. Right? It's what runs this matrix. It's the operation of it. And so sovereignty itself at this point in time isn't necessarily what you would what you would see because the army of the father essentially is assembling. So that means we are now a body. Every single cell of that body is you and me and everybody else listening. We become the cells that make up that body. Right? That's why we're that's why we're also made in the image of God and that's why the enemy also made us in the image of him, this flesh body. So we We've got two things going on. We've got two worlds that we're living on, as above, so below, right? So this is the, the, that's the combination, and that's a Luciferian statement that they use because it's true. So the, the reality of that is that in doing so, we are of one mind and of one accord where the Father's working with us, but we are sovereign. doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want. Is that we have a job to do, right? So you're sovereign as though that you're sovereign from this world and you're sovereign from the, the aspects of the flesh. And this is recognizing everybody else's sovereignty. And what this means by this, Steve, is, is if I'm pissed off, right, this is where, where the respect of the individual but as also a body comes in, is that I don't want to pollute. So if I've got a room of 10 people that are just loving and happy and hugging, right, I don't walk into that room and dump my trash and all my negativity, because I then pollute their whole room. I take everybody's, everybody's positive love away. That's the selfishness of what we do when we walk into a room. And now we go, but, oh, but I'm just venting, right? I'm just venting, and I just need somebody to talk to. Okay, well, but without consideration of those people around you, that's absolute selfishness. That's the flesh, and that's destructive, and get off my cloud, right? Get out of here. And so – there becomes a mutual, uh, uh, kind of a mutual understanding of how things work. That doesn't mean that you don't get to vent, but that's dying to the world, that dying to yourself, that that issue isn't so important that you would pollute somebody else. And this is where you become a cohesive body that, that I, I get to be on my own. When I'm happy, I'm happy. If I come over and I want to help you, well, then I'm going to come into the world and I'm going to help you a bit. 
right? But this is where it becomes individual, not just individual choices, but individual tasks. So yes, it's sovereignty, but at the same time, you're also honoring your task of what you've been given by the Father. And the reality is, is of this, is that people go, well, God gave us free will. And I go, well, here's the whole question then. If you're a Christian and you honor your religion and you honor these teachings, if God tells you to follow his will, what, where do you get this free will thing? Where, well, I don't understand that. Right? So the, it's a different kind of freedom. It's a different kind of sovereignty. It's, we cannot bring things down to the carnal mind of man. We cannot bring these into the flesh and try to rationalize them, which is why it's my yoke is easy and my burden light. It's stop thinking about it. When somebody says, I've got to figure this out, I've got to tell you, everybody out there listening – Stop trying to figure things out and be quiet. Look, Elijah was, was the prophet that Christ referred to the most because Elijah got it. Elijah went up into the mountain, and hear this. This is important to understand. Moses, right? Remember the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. Elijah goes up to the mountain to find God, and he sees a pillar of fire, and he says, that's not God. He goes, that's not God. And then he sees a pillar of smoke, and he goes, that's not God either. And then he sits quietly and listens intently and hears this quiet whisper, and he goes, aha, that's God. Right? So until you can connect that way, and you cannot hear the Father over top of you trying to figure it out, you're too noisy. You're too noisy in your head. You're too noisy in your heart. And so you'll find sovereignty in that, that when you realize that he's made you an individual for a very specific task, for a very specific agenda that he has. Because this war is taking place just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's happening. Just like I said, you're observing it. There could be a war taking place in the sky, and you might be witnessing the remnants of it. So you're seeing part of it because that veil's breaking. And I believe that that's a lot of what we're seeing, that you might be seeing things that are remnants and things of that war that is taking place. But understand that all of Scripture, everything, all of history talks of these principalities, these things unseen. We have been blinded to them. If you're in this hologram, well, then, then this hologram is dictated. And by the way, the, the, the quantum physicists, these guys have all discovered that there is literally binary code at the edges of the universe. We're talking ones and zeros, on and off switches. So this is very real. We literally live in that. And Scripture does speak of this. Once you shatter the ceiling of thinking that you understand something, when I say to people, forget what you think you know and, and empty your cup, it's because the things that you're going to have to put in there aren't going to jibe with anything that, that, that's, uh, that you have in that cup. It's not going to work. You're trying to bring things down to this flesh level, and it's not going to happen. So and these are my conversations with with Steve all the time. We're kind of going over these things, but that sovereignty is something you're going to run into because you're going to realize how oppressed you are in the system. So there's different levels to this onion as well, Steve, that that sovereignty onion first starts going, hey, I can't be free in this world. So you want to find a freedom, a place that you can live free where, you know, where you actually can power your, yourself with solar power if you want, rather than saying, no, you got to put solar powers and power the grid and then we'll sell the power back to you and stuff like that. Everything. You're not even allowed to fish unless you pay for a license that's all they don't want you to be able to see to be self-sustainable so immediately you're going to start seeking sovereignty from this world system and then there's a second set of sovereignty where you're going to start trying to be sovereign from that person from the people around you so that stage of sovereignty is going wait a minute why am i acting and doing things on behalf of that person think about this in your lives where you're doing things in your life because 
your mom wants you to do those things or th- she thinks you should be acting that way or everybody thinks that you should marry that person because they're hot and and that boy there's never going to be any good of a job and, and all of a sudden you're getting married you're getting married and having five children to somebody that you did because everybody else thought you should now all of a sudden it's about sovereignty where you're with that person and they want to bring their negativity and you're like wait a minute i got to get away from that control system too why do i have to hear that person's negativity i don't so then there's the next layer of sovereignty so these are the these are the stages that you go through and so when i say time is short it's because these lessons in learning to turn your soul from the out from the inside and turn it and make it part of the outside is an incredibly painful but beautiful process learning these things uh, i mean i went through it at an accelerated rate that's why i say i'm so thankful for prison because man it gets that that'll get it done quick so putting yourself in your, your own self-imposed prison, se- prison separating yourself from everything that's exactly the message of yeshua when he said if you're not willing to leave mother father and children you're not worthy of me. right so he's talking about him being the example of true freedom, of true sovereignty. He's done all of it already. He's been there. He's experienced yeah. it. He went up on the mountain. He was tempted by Satan. He recognized he was he he's done. And so he's like, Look at me. I'm evidence. This is how it's done. Follow me. In other words, do as I do. Be like me. Drop these things. Forget about that. Your family, they think they love you, right? They'll call you and ask you when you're involved in these truths. And they'll call you and say you took off and you said, you know what, I'm going to go live in the wilderness in a tent. And your family's calling you and going, where are you at? What are you doing? Why do you care? Well, because I care about you. Okay, well, then the only thing that's important is I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm okay. If you truly love me, that's all you should care about. No, they don't. All they're concerned is you broke an idea of theirs. You're doing something they couldn't do. You're not the person that they wanted you to be, and now all of a sudden they've got to restructure their little temple. Your actions become powerful. It begins to mess with everything around you. This is not going to be a fun process. It is not fun at all, but it's beautiful because once you get free, then those that truly do love you will come back to you, just like Christ. They called Christ's family called him out of his mind, said he's lost his mind. The right. book of Mark and then says said, Christ's family came to seize him. They came to take him. I mean, think about the lack of sovereignty. They came to literally seize him, it says. Right. Because in, in today's world, it, yeah, in today's world, it would be a couple of guys with uh, white suits and a straitjacket with the family, right? Exactly. And his family would be the ones signing him into the, into the insanity bin, right? So these are the things. And it wasn't until later on that he had left them. Like when it says, hey, when they said, the apostle said, hey, you're, you know, your mother and your brother are here. <laughs> Excuse me. And he said, you're my mother. You're my brother. Because he started to recognize that they weren't. They were literally operatives for the enemy. They had become the agents. If they're not one of us, they're potentially one of them, the matrix says, right? Same thing. Right. Because they're literally trying to drag you into the matrix. So to flee it, that, that they become the operative of the system itself. And in order yeah. for you to actually have them again, in order for you to have family, my family said, you've lost your mind, you're crazy. Everybody fled from me, everybody. And only now when they've watched me live my life and seen this alteration in me, they're like, it looks like you, it sounds like you, but there is nothing of you in you. 
you still have the same skills, right? You can still do the same things, but how you speak, how you talk, um, everything has altered about you. You're an entirely different person. I go, aha, now you know what born again looks like. Well, and that's one of the old ones, right? Like where it says born again, it says actually born from above. That's what it actually translates, by the way, guys. I actually tried to speak scripture. This is one of the ones, what is one of the verses that really pissed me off when I learned the real truth about it? Like, because it, they would lead you to believe that being born again means that you say a sinner's prayer at an altar and that somehow is going to grant this divine deliverance that Jesus talks about when he, you know, quoted from 60, uh, Isaiah 61. And he was talking about, I came to set the captives free to bind up the brokenhearted, right? And I, and I would always ask, what are you setting me free from? Was it my behavior? Was it my bad behavior that he was setting me free from? Is that what he came to do so that I don't have to feel guilty about my, my bad behavior anymore? I don't see that. I see, I see, I want you to take accountability for your bad behavior. I want you to, right? I don't see any escape there. Yeah. So what? So so the whole idea of born again was just bastardized, because what it really says is, if you're not born from above, not born again, born from above, that again suggests from outside the matrix that you receive a birth yes. from outside the matrix, that you get life from outside the matrix, and that again, there's just another verse, and another that, one, and that comes with forgiving yourself. <laughs> the biggest part of that, Steve, is forgiving yourself. You and I had this conversation. I've talked about it at length because just like you said, taking accountability for yourself, even though you're in this flesh, father's basically saying it's not your fault, right? That you're wearing this flesh, but what is your fault? Once I've revealed myself, once he's shown himself to you and you do know now you are without sin, you will never take something you don't need. It's kind of like you were talking about now all of a sudden you're, you're so much of a pacifist in this is that you don't even want to kill an insect. You take them outside. I'm the same way. It's like I don't even want that on my conscience, right? Oh, I killed that insect. Was that insect a messenger kind of thing? It's like I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anything, right? So when people accuse me of, of wanting to hurt somebody, I'm like, you have no idea. I'm, I'm ready to take the bullets. If I would rather see me get shot a thousand times than anybody behind me getting shot. It's just crazy how it alters you. And if everybody were like that, imagine what a world it would be. Oh, the only reason that I'm where I'm at right now is this very concept, right? So I left my wife about, uh, oh gosh, it would have been that last November 2016, left her for another woman, no less, and, uh, and, and, and thought I was just fine and come to realize uh, through a whole process that the father took me through as I came back to my family, rebuilt my family, all this stuff, he, it, was, it, was this, it was this, um, it was this kind of like, it was that, I was in that second stage of sovereignty, I think. I was just like, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do, right? I got really rebellious to everything, everybody. I was just going to do what I wanted to do. And that was a disastrous yeah. path, my friend. That, that I, I, <laughs> I, I lost so much through that and um, I regret it but now I, I have forgiven myself for it because what happened was I came back made, made amends just like kind of like a 12 step program made amends with everybody you know shook hands uh, made up and, and now trying to rebuild this, this life here with this family and making sure everybody's taken care of and, and, and again the reason I'm telling this story is because many people I'm hearing are doing the same thing they're making the same mistake they're getting to the sovereignty stage of the truth thing and they're taking that as a kind of a green light to go do whatever they want and i just want to caution you guys against that 
and just listen to a guy that went down that pipe and uh, and regrets it horribly. Um, don't don't take that lascivious uh, bait. Don't take it because listen, it, it, it's it's well maybe you might have to take it because sometimes sometimes you'll the only way you're going to learn is the hard way. But I'm I'm here to try to warn you that there's a better way and that is double down and ask the father to help you get through your current situation. Don't run away from where you're at. Don't do it. You know, now there's the, there's the circumstance that you're, that you're talking about, though, Derek, where God is asking you to come separate from the world. That's different. When, I, when, when that kind of process is happening, you'll know the difference. It doesn't come in, in, a, in a selfish way like what, what I did. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, like dying, gonna... it's, dying to your, it's, it's dying to yourself, right? So separating from the world doesn't mean I'm doing something I want. Obviously, you know, um, if, if I were doing the things that, that Derek wants, in the flesh, I would be out there, I would have raised 25 million bucks, I'd have started a company, I'd be paying myself handsomely, building the technology, speaking at conferences, wearing a nice uh, Armani suit, and living in a beautiful home on the beach in Malibu, right? That, that's not what, uh, I'm not doing what Derek in the flesh would want. I'm doing precisely what I'm asked to do. So if you're asked to do that, if you're asked to flee those things and to die yourself, well, then yeah, you're going to do that. In fact, nothing will stop it. That's how you know, because nothing will stop you. If, if you're asked to flee all of your wealth, if you got, well, flee that, get rid of it, give it to the poor. Remember that, the, that Christ said, even, even that, when, when they said, you know, well, what do I do? And he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say give it to me. Right? So that's the difference. Give it to the poor. Why? Because of what it does for your conscience, what it does for your soul, that during that fleeing process, you're cleaning up. Call it whatever you want. Every philosophy has a different name. You've got karma. Everybody understands that. You've got bad karma. Cleaning that up is part of forgiving yourself. Just like you said, Steve, that you came back. You came back and asked everybody for forgiveness and and kind of the 12-step program, taking accountability for those things. Forgiving yourself, number one, is the only way that you can actually go seek forgiveness, truly seek forgiveness. Because once you've forgiven yourself, now the, those that still hold that against you, that's their, their bond against you. Now you want them to be excuse for them um, being angry, right? So there's a saying uh, that, that I, would, I would always observe and I'd always tell people in prison that, you know, that when uh, you know, somebody would be having an argument with a different race. Now in a camp system where I was in fire camp, you know, you got 100 campers there. And a race, a race riot, you know, there is no such thing as one, one black guy and one white guy beating up on each other at, in prison. That doesn't work that way. One black guy and one white guy fight, they're all going to fight. It's going to be a race riot, and um, most likely the other race, the Latino race, is going to jump in with the whites. So I would always tell everybody when they get frustrated, I would say, you don't ever want to be the reason. Right, because people getting wrapped up on time, shutting camps down, basically going back to an institution rather being out in the out in the open in the mountains fighting fires and enjoying yourself rather than being behind a the wall, right? So I was like, you don't want to be the reason because then you think that little fight, you think that little argument was important, but ultimately it wasn't important enough for you to go back to the yard and get killed because you started a riot and you pissed off a whole bunch of people that are now back in the institution because they don't have an option to not jump in the fight. That's a, you're instructed to, right? So. The same thing applies here that when people are holding something against you at that point, you want to go to them because you don't want to be the reason that they're basically 
holding you in contempt and they have sin in their life. So anywhere where somebody else has sin in their life as a result of you, the mere fact that you're included in the equation, you're like, no, please forgive me. It doesn't matter whether you actually did it wrong. If they are holding it against you, they're accusing you, then that's the whole point of Christ saying, look, if somebody's accusing you, even if they're accusing you, he doesn't say if you're wrong. He just says if somebody's accusing you, then go with them and settle it with them before they take it to the magistrate, before they do those things, because they'll execute on those things even if you're not guilty of them. So get rid of them so nobody can even hold anything against you. Go to them, Mm -hmm. forgive them. Ask them for forgiveness. It doesn't matter whether you actually did the thing wrong. If they think you did, well, that's enough. I liken that. I'd like to say if, if when I say to somebody, I go, you know, or somebody comes to me and says, you hurt my feelings, I'm going to beg for forgiveness. I don't care whether I meant to. I don't care whether I knew I hurt your feelings. It doesn't matter. The mere fact that their feelings are hurt means that it's valid. I don't lose anything by, 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 by seeking forgiveness for something. It's like we live in this currency system. This matrix has convinced us that, hey, if we take accountability for something that we didn't do, that somehow we've lost something. I ask you, what did you lose? What did you lose? If Taking accountability. Somebody says you hurt my feelings. Who cares whether you did or not? Take accountability for it. Seek forgiveness. Because if you think about it, why would you argue the point? What would you lose by taking credit for that? It, it actually – you get something positive by taking credit for something that you didn't even know you do. And in fact, the person that was telling you it hurt your feelings, if they know you didn't do it, they will be completely dumbfounded and staggered by the fact that you could take accountability for something you didn't even do. And that's going to convict their heart, of, and they're going to look at you and go, who are you? Who are you that you could take accountability for something you didn't even do? So all of these things, humility is strength. We talked about that earlier, Steve. Yeah, well, there you go. And now we're on to the humility issue because, and this is something that comes with this whole um, refinement process too. And in the, humility isn't, to me, isn't the, you know, kind of the sad sack, let everybody run you over like a rug, you know, that you're a rug kind of thing. Humility is the, 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 um, the, the, the meekness of heart that is that you truly don't believe. You truly believe that you're a servant of all, right? You really, really see yourself that way. And the way I illustrate this is I saw one time in a vision, I was watching um, Yeshua wash the feet of his disciples. I don't know if you, you remember that story. I know yep. I'm speaking to the people out there. I know you do. But in that story, Jesus didn't just wash their feet in some kind of a weird ritual. He actually took his clothes off and wrapped himself in a, in a, roll, in a sheet like a slave washed their feet, and then as you intimated to me today and brought out, and then took that same robe off and dried their feet with it so he was naked in front of them. Like, you couldn't be more humble than that, right? You're washing their feet naked, okay? That's what he was doing. And in that vision, he looks up at me, and I looked at him and I said, I thought you were the almighty God of the universe. What are you doing washing feet? And I just just, I asked the question that occurred to me at the moment. And he looks up at me from the washing of the feet and he goes, because, Steve, you must understand that in order to contain absolute power, you must have absolute humility. They, they, it's, they, it, keeps, it keeps it in check. It's, an, it's like a, a law of spirituality that if you're going to have great spiritual power, you must be humble. You can't have both. There's no – yeah, you can have evil spiritual power like Darth Vader, 
But I'm talking about the good spiritual power, you know, from the Holy Spirit. Give any of that unless you're humble. You just don't. And humility is no, you don't. And humility is a strength that people don't even recognize. And and that's how that's how vacant this world is of humility. That when you demonstrate humility, they'll translate it as arrogance. That's what somehow you're so overconfident. Yeah, you're so overconfident. But the point is, is that it's just it doesn't matter. I'm uh, I, I can be humble in a situation, and it and. In the right situation, it gets translated properly. For me in prison, it was not being scared of death. Somebody would say, you know, we're going to kill you. And I'd be like, let's get it over with. I'd lift my shirt and go right there. Let's get it over with. And they would sit there stunned, right? They couldn't even, they, they couldn't even imagine doing that themselves. So they immediately translated that as, as, I'm the strongest guy they'd ever seen. So they translated it properly. But in this world, people translate it as arrogance because that's what they would do if they had that kind of power. So the translation of how we see things and because of the absence of it is truly amazing to watch. And I was mentioning the, uh, the archangel, right? So in paintings of archangels beating up on mankind, coming down and cleaning up mankind, you've got these big muscle-bound guys, this huge kind of big muscles and all tone and everything. And you have this dainty kind of very feminine looking dude kicking the crap out of all of them. I'm like, see, there's the difference. There's a difference there that that we don't even understand what power looks like anymore. There's massive strength and humility because people can't imagine themselves doing it. So when you shatter what they could or couldn't do, going back to that story of, of a Yeshua wearing around his waist and drawing. Imagine doing it. Yeah, and, 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 and like in real life, he's well endowed. No. Right, and, you know and, what I'm saying. So that that he he took it off, and he was totally fine with it. He could care less whether you looked at him, didn't look at him, what he thought. You just he didn't care. Right. So, um, Derek, I know that we have uh, you know callers hopefully on. I can't see the chat line. Um, do we do we have anybody that's asking any questions or anything like that? Do you want to take it in that direction a little while? I have. I haven't I haven't screened any calls, but we'll just uh, bring some on and uh, uh, we'll ask them if they got some questions. First, um, I'm going to just announce the the first three uh, the area code and the first three numbers of the phone number. So I'm not you know disclosing your phone number, but just so you know because I don't have any names in here, no call screener tonight. But uh, go to area code uh, two five three. First three numbers are three four one two five three three four one. You're on the that air. Can is you hear me? me. Yes, well, I can. Hello, how are you? What's your name? I'm good. Um, What's my name's name is Becky. Um, Becky. Okay. Do you have are a question? Are you there? Becky? Yes, yes Steve I do. And I are both here. Okay. Um, I like the fact that um, um, Steve has this. Uh, I guess. The scientific side of it, mm-hmm. where you have the spiritual. Yeah, I know um, that. Yes, that's 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 how that's how the father. I mean, I mean, that, it's right. It's, okay, okay, that's okay. I want, um, what um, what I have uh, it's. You are so correct. This is like the hardest thing I've ever done in in my life is trying 
to, you know, the way that 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 we're told. Becky, your phone your phone is really your Becky, your phone is really breaking up really bad. Okay, let me. Uh, it looks like we lost Becky. So yeah, I'm sorry about call, that. Oh. Yeah. yeah, maybe she'll call back in. So uh, let's. Uh, I'm going to go to area code two six nine three four eight two six nine three four eight. You're on with Steve and Derek. Hello. Hey guys, um, this is Jeff. Can you hear me? Yes, can I you can hear you. Me? Can you hear me? Okay. It sounds like we have a bit of a delay. Yep. What's your name? Jeff, Derek. It's Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Good to talk with you, Jeff. So what's your question? It's more of an observation. Okay. Um, I I happened to call in tonight, and the first thing I heard, I was about an hour into your show, was your discussions about truth and lies. Jeff, Jeff, wait, hold on. That's right, buddy. Hold on, Jeff. Jeff. Okay, so you're yes. finally you're finally calling in, Jeff. Okay, well this is actually perfect, perfect. So um, uh, let me. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, Jeff. Wait, and I and I wrote J instead of G. So I apologize, yeah, Jeff. So Steve, no let me explain to you. So uh, let me explain to you who who Jeff is. In fact, I'll just let Jeff explain. Jeff, what do you do? What have you done for a living? So we can we can uh, discuss this. Steve will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but because I told him that you'd okay. possibly be calling yep. in, so it's perfect. I'm glad we picked up your line. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad. I actually got hung up on the first time around. Um, the phone just hung up. So. Oh, sorry about that. Anyway, um, uh, Steve and uh, and Derek, you already know this background, but I've been uh, connected mm-hmm. to the uh, truth and lie detection business for about 40 years now. Most significantly, within the last 18 years, dealing on a daily basis uh, with the enemy. And in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I got this random notification out of all places, my phone, uh, from the Matrix, that uh, Global Witness, and it was the one where you unmasked. And the one thing that I have been reading the Bible for about 10 years because you, you can't, do what I do and not carry the armor of God uh, in that room with you. And the thing that taught me, I've always struggled with organized religion. And it's because of my training. I'm taught to be able to decipher truth from lies. But that matrix programmed me that that Bible was the word of God. And then Derek, in your unmasking, the first things you said is, what's the first thing in the Bible that is the truth and who told it? And I knew exactly who you were talking about. And from that point forward, I realized that your gifting from uh, from God um, was the ability to tell the truth in in the face of overwhelming adversity because the first time you tell somebody that that Bible is not 100% accurate, the stuff can hit the fan. And I've always had problems yeah. with a part of the Bible. Two, two reasons. One, it was, it was written 
by man, and it was edited by man, and it was edited in a reason in a, in a way that was trying to control the narrative. And I could see that, but I just I couldn't verbalize it to people when I talk to people in the church, kind of shake their heads and go, yeah, 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 but, 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 give me some song and dance, don't look at me, and walk away. And so I consistently struggled with that. But in my business, what I do on a daily basis is I've learned to understand that every lie has seeds of truth in it. And when I started to apply that to the Bible, I started feeling set free. And that's a hard thing to say because most people think that there's no flaw in that book. And so what was interesting is a couple of weeks ago, Derek, in our communications, you told me about Steve, and I just kind of chuckled to myself because, Steve, I've been a founding member from way back when. Got the shirt oh, for nine yards. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yes, yes, hoodies right on. Yep. So I'm a, I'm a founding member of WSO, and I knew something was up because I know that there was a period where you were kind of gone. It wasn't the same Steve. And what impressed me is when I got on here today was, again, hearing somebody that I've never had the pleasure of meeting but I've listened to extensively over the last couple of years speak the truth about what he was going through. And then mm-hmm. what I was what I was feeling and, and observing in the in not only in your words but your lack of production, you weren't producing the same way or the same content. You know, it's kind of hard. I just knew something wasn't right. I just didn't know what it was. I thought it was, and I'm sure this probably played into it. Being attacked by all your naysayers. There, and, uh, there, you guys, yes, yeah. There's the, there's the guys, naysayers. There's the naysayers, but then also I was working through this. I was working through this process, and yep. I, I I just I just made the wrong choices, and it, and I just acknowledge it. And now that I'm in the in the right, I, I'm calling my, myself that I'm in the right frame of mind again. Um, mm-hmm. In this right frame of mind, it's really easy to hear the father again now. So like, it's like I'm take I can feel my I can feel the message, the ball moving forward now. Whereas I felt like, and I think that my members and the, the subscribers and the people that supported me, what they were seeing was I was dead in the water for a period of time because yep. um, because I had to work out these spiritual issues. Now, though, the, the difference between then and now, I had to go through a lot of changes. I had to go through a lot of this crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all that good stuff. But now that I'm forgiven yep. myself, and and don't hide from it. I don't lie about anything that happened in the past. I tell people exactly. If you ask me a question about what I did over the last two years, three years, I will tell you exactly what I did. No holds barred. I will do it. Because that's what the father told me to do. He says, you, you're t-, and here's where the context of this came from. He said to me in the book of Revelation, he said, it's by the power of your testimony, the blood, the power of the testimony, and that you love life, not your life unto the death. And I always wondered about the power of your testimony. And then he got really deep with me on this. He said, Steve, you got to tell him the ugly details. Here's why. Because for every person, if I, if I had this problem, there's probably one out of every ten people that are listening to me that have gone through the same thing. And when we're honest about our testimony and people can really hear the brutal truth of what's going on, 
they can also get set free because they could say, wait a second, I'm in that same position. If he got forgiveness, I can get forgiveness, right? So yep. the father convinced me to never hide anything that I've done negatively. Just tell the truth and let the cards fall where they fall, <laughs> right? Well, working so far. In, my, in, my, in, in my world, guys, there are three types of lies. There's a direct lie where somebody says they didn't do it, and they did. Really understand that. But there are also other lies that we deal with, which are lies by making stuff up and lies by leaving stuff up. And you'd be surprised. I, I deal with um, a lot of bad people. About 75% of the people that come to visit me and take a polygraph examination don't do well. And I've had to learn to take that gifting that God gave me. I, I just tell people I dance with the enemy or the, the devil on a daily basis. And it's a dual-edged sword because there's the enemy's attempts to defeat my God-given blessing and keep me from utilizing the skill set that he blessed me with. And there's also dealing with the person on the other side who may be trying to hide something. And and mm-hmm. and what's what I've noticed here, especially with Derek here in the last um few weeks, is that I I noticed a a tone change in him. And it was a positive one. I'm I'm really big into inflection, uh worse uh word utilization. And then I found out I think, Steve, that you were the missing piece and that the two of you together now have the awesome responsibility of taking the seeds of truth within the Bible and and spreading that information to people who are still trying to figure it out. And I think why people can never figure it out, and that's the, the Bible in a lot of ways can be almost like a prison because you just get in it, you read it, you read it, you read it, you read it, and you just digest it, you eat it, but you don't understand it. And so a lot of times you pass that responsibility off to your people in the church, and you just go there and you sit and you listen. And the reality is that they're, they're regurgitating that problem that I talked about before, information that was edited by man. And there was an agenda behind it. Mm-hmm. So I commend both I commend both of you for, for doing what you're doing because it's an uphill stream. And the other thing that you'll you'll if you haven't, and I'm sure Derek has, and I'm sure you have too, Steve, is that when you start to tell people the truth, and let's just give a number, say that the Bible, and this is just an arbitrary number, it's thirty percent the truth and seventy percent made up, some some form of of a lie, whatever that real thing is, it's going to be much larger than the truth. Because in order for a lie to be successful, it has to have seeds of kernel of the truth so that people will believe it. And, and that's the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I now... I tear apart the words in, with a whole new vigor because now I figured when, when I heard him say that to me, I figured it out. It was like that lightning bulb moment. We've all had those points where we'll look at the Bible 
something will make sense to you and the light will goes on, but you've read it five, six, seven, ten times before. Um, yeah, Jeff, so when, you, Jeff when you and I to listen to your words, yep. Yeah, when you and I when you and I first spoke, I remember you saying when I when I said that um, when I was talking about scripture and I said the lie and the truth is the exact same line, right? And so yep. I was explaining that yep. and that triggered that triggered the professional in you those skills. Yep. I remember you explaining this to me those skills. That's like, wait a minute, I know that to be true because I do that every day. How come I haven't applied yep. that to the Bible? And that's that. That's well. That, I can the, tell you the, why because I fell into that. I fell into that that trap that this Bible is one hundred percent the truth. And yeah, but the, you'll be persecuted if you speak anything different than that, right? So that's the whole point. That um, trap yeah. is what everybody yeah. else thinks. Yeah, I had that, a radical. I, I, I had a radical. I had a radical Bible teacher back in Bible school, and I'll remember this woman because she was the one. She, we were doing an Old Testament survey with her and exegesis of the Hebrew and that kind of thing. And she was showing us how that um, – she was the first one that told me that there were other civilizations on this earth other than mankind. <laughs> I was like, where do you get that from? She got it out of the book of Isaiah. But she was the one that told me she, yep. she was the first first Bible scholar that ever – she's a true scholar too. She, she was the first scholar that ever let that out. She goes, always remember – Everything in the Bible is true, but it's not all truth. Yes. yes. And I never forgot that because, um, well, yeah, it's true. And I think, they, too, you, you say that. now to look through those. Well, you've got that basis behind you, and that's probably why you were so radical when you first started with WSO. And, and yeah, then I, that, part of, that part fell away. I, I noticed that right off the bat, and I wondered what the heck had happened. And today... You know, now I understand. Everything makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, so, and I'm glad I got a, you yeah, guys, I got, I'm glad I got a chance to share that with my with the supporters because I know a lot of folks were confused. And we're gonna, we're, yep. we're Derek's gonna help us. Uh, Derek and I are helping each other with uh, the bigger projects in the background. I was talking about, and w- there's a lot of congruency on what's going on. Let me give you an example. Um, so we all. By the way, guys, we only got listening. two minutes. Two minutes left, just to let you know. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just finish off. We can go over a we can go over a minute or two, but it might cut us off. So just to let you know, if if everybody, if we all get cut off, then you'll know what well, happened. But how, let's how keep going because I I love having Jeff on. Well, how about how about but, we do this? Let's end it. Let's end it to God's glory tonight. Um, and I think Steve, maybe you could take us out. Oh man, Father, I am standing yeah, here yeah. with breath. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what he's saying. I Father, I want to just thank you for everything that you have given us tonight and given us this platform just to talk to each other. And I want to just – I ask for a blessing on the people that are listening. Please, Lord, reveal yourself to them like you've revealed yourself to us, and even more so so that they can teach us stuff too. I really mean this, Father. I really, really, really would love the spirit of truth just to be pervasive in everybody that's listening. That's my ask of you, Father. In the name of your of Yeshua. <laughs> I love you so much. Uh-huh. I love you. Uh-huh. Thanks, uh-huh. thanks for the time, boys. Yep. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Okay, we have 30 seconds left. I just want to thank everybody for joining. Um, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, and and listening, and you know, this was obviously our first show. Uh, I think that 
it's a great platform, particularly because we can have guests call in and ask questions. And I think that we'll probably have a lot more of that where we'll plan more specifically where you can gather your questions through the week. And then basically it's answering, just answering questions. Um, I just wanted to say I appreciate, love everybody. Steve, I really, really love having you on. It was a great discussion. It's two hours that just flew by to me. So um, we could certainly, we could probably fill up, you know, eight or nine hours and do the same thing for, for the same period of time. So I appreciate you, Steve. I think Steve probably dropped off. Yes, it looks like he did. So everyone, love you very much. Thank you again for, uh, for being here. And uh, we'll see you next time.